told you she'd be coming at us. Yeah, you know, I need you to stay calm, Terry. Okay? They're giving her a Senate hearing. How can you not see that as a problem? She knows Bourne. She knows Blackbriar. She knows Hirsch. She's got a handle on the whole goddamn operation. I don't see how the hell you could be so calm about this. Well, what can she say? What can she say? What if she gets up there and she says, Treadstone, Blackbriar, you think that was it? You think that Jason Bourne was the whole story? Sorry, there's a lot more going on here. What if she tells them that Treadstone was just the tip of the iceberg? Look, you want to sweat something, worry about outcome, because we're still not out of the woods. But as far as our other programs, she doesn't know that much. How do you know that? Because we're tapped into everything she says and does. What? Phones, email, cars, house, lawyer. We don't control the site? Not yet. Getting the picture now? Well, I I'm... Stop, stop. I can't run this from here. I need a crisis suite. I need integrated grids and comms. I need all of it. NSA or Pentagon or Liberty Crossing. I don't care. Just get me something now. Pack up your codes and your drives, whatever else you're going to need. We're going to move and we're going to stay there. Vita, how am I putting a net over that house? There's locals all over it. We go with germs. She took samples from work, pathogens, viruses. It's national security. Good. Okay, I like that. It plays down. Get it out there. Get it out there. Come on, let's go, let's go. Everybody find another gear, okay? Because I want to be out of here. So, so you, you infected me? When was this? When? when is this when I was sick? The mystery flu? That was you? Uh, well, it, it wasn't me. I didn't That was you. It. That was on purpose, right? When I almost died. I'm sorry, but it wasn't me. Why am I still taking green pills then? I don't know. I, I, I thought you'd stop. Why, why, why am I asking you anything? Would you keep us on a leash, right? Is that it? To keep a hold on us? To keep us dependent? Who tells you that this is okay? No, I do. Who says it's okay? I do research. I design. I survey. I don't, I don't administer meds. I don't make policy. Now you just load the gun. God. Look, I was there for the science. We were all there for, for science. And I know you don't care, but I made a huge sacrifice. I couldn't publish, I couldn't conference, I couldn't tell a single person what it was I did. But I thought I was, I thought I was helping my hey. country and... So let's say you want to change the human body. You want to fix a mistake. You want to repair something, improve something. Well, if you're going to reprogram human genetic material, you need a delivery system, and nothing works better than virus. It's like a suitcase. You, 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 you pack in genetic mutation, infect the body, and the vector unloads into the target cells. That's $40,000 in the lining of my jacket. In this bag, there are passports. Two blanks and three ghosts. The guys watch this and they're saying it's okay. You take it. Look at me. You can make it. You're a warrior. You can make it. Okay? You stay small. No airports. You just blend in. Like you know, okay?
that the signal? They're asking for confirmation. Okay. You went too soon. No, we went too soon. grabs you the way this story has grabbed me in the last two weeks. Um, I noticed for some reason, I think it was my very earliest red pill, recent red pill days, I noticed the Epstein story sometime around 2015. I don't remember what the actual news item was at the time. And, uh, and I dug into it to try and understand it. And it just looked to me, and I remember... F- I remember getting, it was really easy to get the the Epstein PDF of the black book, which is still out there very easily. Um, And I remember thinking like, I feel like I shouldn't have this. Like, this is like a who's who of Washington and Hollywood. And uh, so I saved it and shared it on our Facebook community. And, uh, but I kind of felt like at the time, my sense of it was it's the same. I mean, and not, not to dismiss it, but it looked like a very similar d- dynamic to the Franklin cover-up and the one in England, the Hampstead cover-up and the um, preschool, the day schools in L.A. Uh, and the Getty Museum. I think there was a storyline along that. And I, and so I, I I dug into it. I was like, wow, that's really incriminating. And it definitely put some lights on for me around some of the people deeply ensconced. But... Um, but then I kind of carried on, and and every time it came back into the news, like his arrest and then his his alleged death, and uh, and now Ghislaine Maxwell's arrest and the anniversary of Epstein's alleged death, I it just kept bouncing off me. I just felt like I've looked deeply into that darkness. I get the general gist. I don't need to go down there <laughs> anymore. But uh, just whatever it was, 10 days ago, a friend shared this Maria Farmer audio call that I'm going to share on the site here for you. It's in two parts with, um, with Whitney Webb. And, uh, and I thought, ah, I don't know. I just, I don't know why I just clicked it that day. And I, and, and like a good reporter, Whitney Webb just let her talk. And, and for the first time I heard 
such the the human side of it, the human connection to the survivors, and it cut through all of the spin that comes through in the in the mainstream media. And uh, so I was riveted. I was connected. I felt a deep connection to Maria Farmer and her journey and her courage and the journey they've been on. And I think it's partly um, because of the current planetemic, you know, that, that you can relate better now that these women were just inside this hierarchy of control that was overwhelming to them. And it's and it's and every time they went to try and whistleblow, it just seemed to be more um, the, 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 the control system around them just seemed to be bigger and darker than they ever imagined. And so for whatever reason, it really resonated with me. And, and basically, that's what I'd like to accomplish today. I'd like you to get a sense of the human story here and uh, behind this. And maybe it'll grab you as well. And uh, so I've got just a short clip here of um, the Maria Farmer voice call. Some of the some of the points I thought were kind of grabbing. I think it's maybe seven minutes, and then we'll get into the we'll get into the the dot connector. Thanks, Jeffrey. It's weird because there was a reason why he was able to be around all these people. He was very charming, but here's the thing about him, Whitney, and this is the thing that makes me so angry more than any of it. He was a sicko, like sick. He had a mental illness. He was a true pedophile, and all these people knew that. All these adults. It took a year to figure it out, okay? It took the photos of my sisters being stolen. Because even... Um, oh, but anyway, he, he's also... He's Jewish, too. I was the only, like, non-Jewish employee. That was the other thing. They wouldn't have people around that weren't Jewish. It was really weird. Like, they go to... The only people... Now, of course, all the people they raped were never Jewish. You know, that was, like, another rule, I think. I mean, maybe it wasn't a rule, but it seemed to be. But... Um, the children were never Jewish, you know, just the employees and like a lot of like Leslie Groff and those people, you know, that they had around mm-hmm. were usually like they trusted each other, but they don't trust people outside their network. So it's not just that they're Jewish, it's that they're connected, you know, with where it all began, they're going to keep it quiet, you know, and the FBI, Whitney, is so much an evil I mean, I can't, I can't even explain to you how abusive the effing VI is. It's unbelievable to me. I mean, they, in, when I first called them, they knew I was telling, believe me, they knew, I, what I, they knew everything I was telling them. They already knew because they're in on it. And it was so weird, his reactions when I was talking to him, you know, I, I called and I got some answer guy and then he passes me to some guy who's like, when I start talking about Wexner, you know, and I asked the guy, do you have, this is all over the phone, in 1996. I said, do you have a file on Les Wexner? And he said, why? And I said, he's the head of the snake in this, in America. And I don't even know I was intuiting this. Just And also, I think it's common sense when you see all this stuff I saw going on. And anyway, when I said that to him, he said, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe we do. The worst part was I named everybody. I named Donald Trump. I named everyone who I thought was a co-conspirator at the time. So I named, like, um, Alan Dershowitz, Donald Trump, uh, absolutely the Clintons. Um, You know, these are people that I saw coming and going that I knew were part of it. And I, I made it really clear that this is a very scary thing for children and that I see between 
five and ten girls a day going upstairs. And now that I know what's happening to them, I want it stopped. All about things, especially Gilan, and she would always scream at me. She was very verbally abusive. I have a lot to tell you about her, a lot. I know her very, very well. I would say Virginia and I are the only two that really know her, and I know her well. You know, I lived around her for a year, like lived in all of their houses with them. And so, oh, my gosh, that woman is the most dangerous asset for Israel that you can even imagine. I mean, she is so dangerous. And she grew up with the royals. Like, she showed me all the photo albums, but I'll get back to that. But anyway, just basically, I don't know if you know about Claire Hazel. Do you know about her? Uh, No, it doesn't ring ring a bell. Okay, she's someone you really, you really need to look into her because she's key, a key co- co-conspirator that no one discusses. And Gilan got her married off to one of the, um, to one of the, what are they called, the, the Guinness family. So now she's Lady Claire, and you're not going to believe this, Whitney. You know the movie Eyes Wide Shut? It was filmed in Lady Claire's mansion, estate. It's a Jewish country club. You're not Jewish. They're not going to serve you. What? Okay. This is how. This is how this woman spoke to me. Yeah. This is how she. This is how these people think, Whitney. They, honest to God, think their DNA is better than everybody else's. I swear to you. It was a very. It was a theme all the time with them, with Eileen Guggenheim, with um, you know Jeffrey Epstein, with with Gilan. It was a theme. You know, Jeffrey was a lot less horrible than Gillian as far as a human being, like just being around. Because she was raping just as many children. I mean, they're all part. I guess if you're really successful in America, there's a reason why, you know. And you've, you've, I think you've participated in it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Lynn Forster. She's, um, she's calling me a liar because she's saying that she set Dershowitz. See, I saw Dershowitz coming in and out of the house. I said, I know this is strange, but I have a report to make. And this is exactly what's Whitney. I said, I have a report to make on someone that I've been working for that recently kidnapped me. I said, I know this is weird and embarrassing, but I have to tell you because I need to know if he's a pedophile. I don't know how I knew to say that. Like, what? Anyway, and, and they said, who, who are you talking about? And I said, okay, well, his name is Jeffrey Epstein. And I said, and her name is Gillian Maxwell. And I said, but here's what's important. It also involves the Clinton family. It involves Bill Clinton for sure. It involves Donald Trump. And I said, the game show host. I thought he was a game show host. I didn't know who he was. (laughs) And later, like, I thought it was funny that I said that. But I said, you know, the game show host, Donald Trump. And I said, but the most important one, and I said that, that he's the head of the snake, is Les Wexner. And they said, what do you think he is? And I said, he's Jewish mafia. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, what do you mean, what do I mean? Yeah, I said, what do you mean, what do I mean? I said, he's not Italian, he's Jewish, and he's mafia. I said, I can't be any clearer with you. And they said, how do you know he's Jewish mafia? And then I went on the list. The Jewish mob in New York took out the Italian mafia they'd been working with all those years and consolidated and basically just took over the whole thing what Ghislaine told yeah. me, right? And Sheldon Adelson, he's on yeah. video saying, yeah. all I care about is being a good Ugh. citizen of Israel, and he's the top political donor in the United States. So the fact that you're not allowed to talk about it, I think, is, is very oh, God. troubling. But, you know, you two um, used to work at the, the same other weird-
Thing. The equity firm is Netanyahu. <laughs> so, I mean, gross. I mean, it's a little club. Yeah. Oh, gross. Is that yeah. that woman? Susan w- Wojcicki. Is that a woman? Yeah, she's CEO of oh, okay. YouTube right now. Yeah. She used to work for yeah. Bain Capital. Really- Person's name, like I'll look up Whitney Webb. Whitney Webb likes to write articles, you know, or whatever. This says, Abigail Wexner likes to breed her own breed of horses. And I'm like, no, she doesn't. Abigail Wexner likes to keep artists captive and starve them so they can be raped. <laughs> That's what Abigail Wexner does for Mossad. I mean, it's so obvious. You know, it's like. But the scrubbed report in 2001 says that yeah. one of Epstein's uh, sources of money, uh, it names three people. It names Wexner. Right. It names Trump. And it names right. Bill Gates. Yep. This is in 2001. Yep. Is there anything yep. you know yep. about um, yeah, no, they, and, they, mm-hmm. right. So I know I I know that they discussed Bill Gates. I heard his name come up between Epstein and Gilan. I will guarantee you they knew him. I don't know why they would be discussing him. Um, back in the 90s, you know, 95. Right. Yeah. And so I think it was an excuse to yes. control demolition yep. of the economy and rebuild it as a, in a way that allows them to maintain yep. and consolidate control. So I think that's ultimately what all of this is about, just sort of a control Absolutely. demolition of different aspects of society to build it up the way they think they can, ma- can maintain control. Because like you yes. we're talking about these people that are super paranoid. They're afraid, constantly afraid of losing control yep. and being exposed. And so yes. at some point... Yes. They knew yep. that they were going to have to do this. And you have all those CEOs, more than any CEO ever, amount of CEOs resign in the same month ever in history in January before all of this went out. I mean, it definitely something yep. stinks, right? So They're um, such scumbags, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. This has been the whole time, like for years. So for years, Brad was like, no, they're not asset. And now before his book came out, he goes, I just wanted to tell you you were right. <laughs> they're assets. <laughs> I'm like, I know, I knew I was right because I'm an artist and I'm really in tune with things and I'm very visual and I remember everything I saw, Whitney. They picked the wrong person, you know? Believe it or not, I uh, I actually have some positivity on this. I can't some silver lining. Maybe that's a better way to better way to put it. Uh, especially this morning, for whatever reason, I've woken up with this uh, real sense of optimism. I can't believe it after wading through this. Yesterday, I just crammed. I crammed uh, maybe eight articles of Whitney Webb's on the series, which are outstanding. They're all shared here, so with uh, all the dots to connect. So I wanted to make sure that I had the backstory before I um, tried to put all the pieces together, which is a never-ending journey. But uh, I, I definitely feel like I've got the gist now. But the positivity, I feel like today, anyway, I mean, changes. Because I've had some dark days this week where it feels like the cages are really closing in. Today, what it feels like is like a dot-com from the late 90s. Like they're just investing too much in uh in the sensation of this planet demic and it's just going to burst at the seams 
Like it's just too crazy and too fast and it's just coming apart. It's coming apart so fast and uh, sort of the, the those silent majority we talked about last week are waking up at a rapid rate and, and in some ways it seems the guys that I listen to, the ones that are kind of waking more most recently, they seem to be uh, the most persuasive because they stumble into things so innocently. They don't go looking for the for the shadows and the threads. They just stumble into them. And so I think they're very persuasive with with the rest of the silent majority. But um, the other aspects of positivity, the other silver lining uh, aspects on this, well, Whitney Webb, for one thing, I don't know what pulled her in. I don't know her personal backstory, but she's truly a true... Uh, Watergate reporter on this like she has just gone um, left no stone unturned and uh, and that takes a lot of bravery she's in Latin America I think somewhere and she just there's no there's no topic she will she will leave alone which is fantastic so her editors are obviously allowing that as well and then like I mentioned at the beginning the courage of the actual survivors and whistleblowers and Maria talks about a, a woman named Courtney I'm not familiar with yet but she talks about Courtney like she's the she's the rallying cry she's the actual catalyst that really gives them all inspiration but anyway all of that is very positive and then there were some breaks just the last couple of days like uh, last night just before I turned in I got the podcast from Bobby Capucci who I highly recommend and to me, he's got the moral outrage just right. He's 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 really good about the the legal machinations. He seems to have a really uh, solid understanding for a layperson on the legal uh, proceedings. And he generally uh, keeps himself grounded in articles, good articles on the topic, so he doesn't go off speculating so much. Um, but in terms of the moral outrage, he's really good about calling out how. The media, even even these ones that are looking into it, are softening, softening the language around some of these perpetrators. But anyway, the news came in from him last night that um, <laughs> that Alan Dershowitz has started to like started a public bun fight with Les Wexner. Okay, so Maria calls Les Wexner the head of the snake in all this. He's also the CEO of Victoria's Secret, so that's clearly been set up as a feeder network for this debauchery and um and there's alan dershowitz mr uh martha's vineyard trying to drag a known israeli mafia personality into the story himself so that is as uh, bobby is constantly saying there's no honor about among thieves alan obviously knows he's on shaky ground he can't get a game of bridge in in martha's vineyards right now and uh and so he's he's actually trying to drag his old buddy Les Wexner into the picture, and Les Wexner's camp is just saying uh, we have no comment. So Alan, just to clarify that particular story angle, his ta- one of his top tactics on Tucker and others is to slander the whistleblowers. So he's trying to call them liars, call them prostitutes. He's just it's, which is awful, of course, but there's nothing beyond these people. And so in one of these statements, he said, ask Les Wexner, this woman has no credibility, you know, with something like that. She's got a bad reputation. And Les Wexner's legal team comes back with, uh, we have no comment on Maria Farmer. 
you know, like don't drag us into this. So that, I mean, to me, behind the scenes, imagine, imagine if you're actually in the Italian mafia and, uh, you're sort of a front man and a, a very low level character in their world. And you're trying to pull the name of a guy that's like a made man into the, into the public arena. That's a very, uh, desperate move. So watch this space this morning. Now this could be just, this could easily just be a media appeasement that is completely meaningless. But the, the news story this morning is that Scotland Yard has now announced that they're now going to look into it, which is like, hello, <laughs> how long has this been going on since the eighties? But I still think as much as the problem, there are like endemic problems with cops and the FBI is deeply incriminated in this whole thing. There are good cops in most of these organizations. I've met a couple of ex-FBI uh, guys, and, and they've got a lot of, and an ex-Scotland Yard guy, and they've got a lot of pride in the legacy of their um, badge. I think that they're not going to, there are some good ones on the inside. They're going to have issues with it being just a, me, a media play. I think that that inside these law enforcement agencies, there must be some major battles going on. Just like I keep thinking about Silicon Valley. I believe, we'll get, we'll get into the, some of the threads here, but I believe that uh, these controlling type people, <laughs> which is just like the controllers that are trying to lock us all down, and they're the same controllers that are, that are trying to manipulate the politicians in the U.S., and we'll get to that. But when you get it yourself into that mindset, kind of the reptilian side of your mind, you can't be creative or innovative. So when they're trying to keep a grip on Silicon Valley, it's a joke. Because all they can do is kill good ideas or try and manipulate and, and um, emulate good ideas. They can't come up with the next new thing. And Silicon Valley is just all innovation. So inside these major Silicon Valley companies... They have to keep these good software engineers who, who have no idea what they're a part of. So inside those organizations, there must be massive, just like inside the Scotland Yard and FBI, there must be massive battles on a daily basis with like lower level, good hearted people starting to realize what they're a part of and uh, rebelling in their own ways. But let me just, I guess what I, the order of how I'd like to do this, I'm going to keep it brief because the clips I'm including are add up to something like 20 minutes, so I don't want this to go over 60 minutes total if I can help it. But I guess the first thing I'd like to do is, before I get into the dots, just provoke you a little, <laughs> a little bit. If I can grab you a little bit in terms of making this local and personal, if we just look at the pattern of things. First of all, it's been going on since Roy Cohn. So Roy Cohn was on the scene in the 50s, like Hoover, McCarthy... These games and these systems of mani political manipulation have been um, expanding and improving, improving if you can, more effective since back in those days, since Hoover and McCarthy and Roy Cohn. And Roy Cohn, they're like Whitney's calling him like the original Epstein in terms of the role that he played in Washington. Um, and now there's these fantastic documentaries coming out on, on Epstein. They're, they're not, there's a whole lot of, sometimes the most potent 
uh, aspects of the stories are the parts that aren't being told. So when you listen to Maria's version and then you see a news coverage or you see a Netflix special, the, the most important parts to me are the parts that she mentions and no one else mentions. But that's just, that's just an aside. But the other pattern I, I'd like to urge you to pay attention to that I think will provoke most people is I believe, this is, a, this is a working hypothesis, that the areas that are by far the most controlled, most obedient, most locked down by this planectemic are the same areas that are the most manipulated by these political tactics and media tactics. So if, for example, you live in Melbourne, Australia, which is like leading the way in terms of like Nazi lockdowns and political control, chances are they have one of the most established Epstein-style franchises at work there. And the patterns that are coming out of Whitney Webb's coverage over the years, I mean, she's gone back in the history. She was, one thing that really set her apart is she was one, willing to go back to try and understand how these people met each other in the first place, how this whole thing came together. And the pattern seems to be, well, politicians is kind of obvious, and I think that's sort of the psychology I'd like to walk through today. Um, but media is clearly media personalities, and there's media personalities in deep, in like Barbara Walters, uh, even Mike Wallace was on one sort of scandalous moment. I'm not saying these weren't good reporters at one time. Owner of Washington Post before the Watergate, uh, I guess it maybe was at that time, because eventually his daughter took it over when the Pentagon Papers came. But the owner, the original owner of the Washington Post, what it looks like is media, when in the old days, when the media personality started to be a threat to the system, they started to get pulled into this manipulation as well. Um, but also prominent business leaders. So then one pattern that she has uh, pointed out, Whitney, has <clears throat> around beer and liquor industry. So she mentions the Bronfman's. So back in the Prohibition days, the liquor people clearly got into bed with the mob, which would have made business sense back then. And I, I remember even JFK's father, but she doesn't get into JFK's father. So the Bronfman's... Bronfman's get in with the mob back then, and that becomes sort of a marriage. And in her coverage, there's a Guinness connection, the Guinness family. There's a Seagram's connection. There's a Bronfman connection. So I would say, like if you're in Melbourne, Victoria, there's like sort of a few aspects of this. They've got the manipulation and blackmail thing down, like, like, a, like a fine art. They can manipulate anybody who has any vices and any ambitions, <laughs> any ambitions, let's say, in terms of their image and reputation and celebrity. And like that's proven. I'd say there's like been very, very good people that have been pulled in and completely manipulated. So, they, so you've got prominent business people in your communities, prominent politicians, prominent media personalities. That's a whole network of people that are quote-unquote in on it. They, they, once they become a threat, once if they voiced out and spoke out against the system, they would be a threat, then they have to get pulled into this. And the other aspect of it that has come out in this more than I've ever seen before is the feeder networks. And that's, what, that's what's happening with Maria 
she was recruited from a art school in New York with a Guggenheim, a no-name Guggenheim. <laughs> the woman had a name Guggenheim. She has nothing to do with the famous Guggenheim family. But anyway, so they were using the New York College of Art, I think it is. Gosh, I'll, I hope I got that right. But it's, it is a New York College of Art as a feeder network to recruit these unsuspecting girls. And they've got classy-looking women like Ghislaine Maxwell and I think it was Melania Trump, who was one of Trump's wives. I think the first one, Ivana. They go out just driving and recruiting girls. So, you know, young girls would just see these classy middle-aged women, uh, wealthy, in a limo probably, and they'd be like the easiest thing in the world. They spot like the vulnerable, attractive, innocent, underage girls, and they pull them into this web. Um, but the other feeder networks, it seemed clear. There's a guy in France using modeling. As a, there's well, Les Wexner definitely using Victoria's Secret. There's been a long history with uh, the Mickey Mouse Club, those kinds of things. So they've got these feeder networks. So if you're in, I'm just picking on Melbourne because there's such a bad example right now of the of this draconian lockdowns. Just look for the people that are being held up in. So the media is completely controlled. We can see that now, right? <laughs> there's no. I'm not making any claim. It's not obvious now. So whoever they're putting forward in your community as the celebrities to admire. And the voices to listen to, those people largely are aware of this system of blackmail. That's what I would suggest, and that's what I would suggest people look for. I want to try and tie the Epstein phenomenon, which is just and like just like the clip at the beginning from Born Legacy. It's just like one franchise. It's the DC franchise connected with the UK franchise of this operation. Every single major quote-unquote developed nation is going to have an Epstein franchise thriving, especially if they're locking down like draconian style right now. They definitely have the political blackmail and media blackmail operation in full force, if that's what's happening, in my opinion. But this burning question, it's really the burning question that got me down all the rabbit holes. The, the, the final red pill that got me down all the rabbit, pill, rabbit holes back in 2015, 2016. And I, and I eventually articulated. I, I had a, a, a phase of toxicity uh, that led into some autoimmune disorders or symptoms. And I went through this really frustrating 12 months of medical advice that was just like I couldn't believe how bad the whole system couldn't handle what seemed like a fairly straightforward common ailment and I came out of that and I remember saying to this guy that was like had become an expert in detox online de detox system he was excellent uh, Superman diet he uh, I was saying I can't comprehend an intelligence on this earth that wakes up every morning and goes out to deliberately harm like humanity existence war on existence that was sort of my question like don't they have children of their own you know <laughs> this is what i'm saying do they have some sort of immunity how can they poison the air and the water and the systems and the and the uh, crony capitalism and just poison the whole experience education and can and how do they like how do they not realize they're poisoning their own fishbowl this is sort of my question out loud and this is i guess partly an answer that's been coming through this Michael Jones work 
which is anti-logos, logos, right? If you're against existence, you're against truth, you're against freedom, you're really against humanity. So you're against life. And I, uh, I really, that question has never been satisfied in my own mind until I'm starting to now connect these dots. So I'm going to try and share that psychology with you now. Jordan Peterson used to often mention the Cain and Abel biblical story. And I, and I never had ever thought much about the Cain and Abel story. I don't think I was really actually familiar with it before Peterson came along. But I didn't fully grasp why he kept going back to it and why he thought it was so important until now. <laughs> and I think this whole phenomenon, if I can try and convince you that this whole phenomenon is a Cain and Abel story. And he used to say it's like eight or ten lines with infinite depth. And that's what that's what I think it's like couldn't have been better said. But the story, just to remind anybody that's not familiar, is basically I think Cain is the older brother and Abel's the younger brother. And Cain is a bit caught up with himself. And nothing goes right for Cain. And Abel they don't I guess they leave that fairly ambig ambiguous ambiguous uh, in terms of why things go wrong for Cain. I think it's sort of implied. But but nothing seems to go right for Cain. Abel comes along, and he's like the younger, better-looking brother, but he's also um, uh, a good community person, works hard, and every single thing goes right for him. And Cain, instead of you know asking himself, "What am I doing wrong to have this experience?" You know that kind of a introspection, he ends up well cursing his brother but also cursing existence. He wants a war on existence because in his mind, it should not be this way. I'm Cain. He's Abel. I'm the older brother. He should be, he should be less than me. Okay. <laughs> so that's the, so he wakes up. I mean, if you like sort of read into that a little bit, he wakes up every day cursing God and cursing existence until he eventually wants to kill Abel, who's also like, you know, a role model for probably him and the community. And he does kill Abel. So that's the psychology, <laughs> if you if you can imagine, that we're dealing with here. These are people that have cursed existence. And now I'm going to try and walk us down this dark road of where how you can uh, g possibly get yourself to this psychology. Because there are, they're born psychopaths. They're people that are born with zero empathy. Like, they, these are like, and they realize at a very young age that they're different than everybody else. And then so they become, deception becomes their greatest, their greatest ally. They learn how to look like a normal person and respond like a normal person, but they don't have any normal human empathy. But most of these cases of these perpetrators get pulled into these webs. They're just people that don't know what they're walking into. And they don't have control of their vices, and um, they've got ambitions, and they're attached to their image and their celebrity, and boom! Now, when you, in the hands of some group of people that is cursing existence, these people are just like puppets, putty in their hands. So the other question that's just constantly on my mind is, 
what kind of person, if like that person's corrupted and that person's corrupted and that person's corrupted, like what kind of person would be able to not get corrupted by these webs if they decide to pull you in? This is the question in my mind. And my conclusion so far is you need like this Elliot Ness type of personality. You need somebody who is so clean and puts their household and their virtues like at the top of their value system and has no interest in their own image and is just trying to be a good soldier to do the right thing for their community. These are the kinds of, these are the untouchables. But the other, like, I guess you could say <laughs> frustrating part of that is these dark, like reptilian networks, they're hierarchical, right? I mean, the mob is just like classically hierarchical. The FBI is hierarchical. Like, even if you get like a thousand Elliot Nesses across the USA, how are they going to organize themselves? You know what I mean? They're trying to do the right thing in their community, but they're not being drawn into these networks, into these power positions generally, because the people that are getting promoted are the ones that are corruptible. So uh, that's the part that's like, in terms of numbers, it's no contest. The world is filled with way more Elliot Nesses than, than the reptiles. But in terms of like constantly calculating, manipulating, and deceiving, and then also moving in lockstep completely, perfectly in discipline, that's a mafia behavior, right? Nobody steps out of line. Um, so that's that's kind of, to me, what we're up against. I'm going to try and just imagine or try and contrast. And this is the point Michael Jones makes very well regularly. you got a choice of how to live your life. And it's, 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 a, it's a binary. I hate to say it. I don't even like uttering these words because I know that like what, what it means in terms of accountability. But the early, those philosophers, early um, Greek philosophers, you know, they used to say virtue is wisdom and wisdom is virtue. I would have never gotten that until now or or uh, michael or um, mark passio often says like morality is freedom you can't live free if you want to pursue your vices because if you're pursuing your vices your neighbor's going to be pursuing his vices and now you're in a in a mess <laughs> now you're in sodom and gomorrah so freedom is morality and morality is freedom wisdom is virtue and virtue is is wisdom and that's what they call they call the city of God versus the city of man. So that's the city of God. You wake up in the morning and you decide that the higher power is your highest authority. And so truth and honor and character and values and virtue are your highest authority. That's how you're going to govern yourself and that's going to how you're going to govern your life. Integrity. The other way to wake up is the city of man. I'm going to take what I can get. I'm going to be a dog-eat-dog. Winner takes all. Uh, alpha chimp rules. Uh, might is right. Authority is truth. You know, that kind of, that's the city of man. But here's the thing. It sort of sounds like seductive. You, maybe you can like bend some of the rules and you can like pursue some of your vices in dark corners. As soon as you set foot into city of man, you're into a hierarchy of darkness that where you're the bottom, you're the like the lowest puppet on the puppet pole, <laughs> if there is a puppet pole, you're the lotus on the totem pole. If you choose city of God, you're all, you know, equally uncorruptible and un untouchable. 
And so that's why, like, I, when I, when I, this realization was coming to me like three or four weeks ago, like, I didn't even like to think about it. Like, what am I saying? I, I have to hold myself accountable to like living morally if I really believe in freedom. Wow, that's a that's a really tough one <laughs> to think about, like giving up your vices and becoming Elliot Ness. So I, I mean, I I don't know where the shades of gray are, but I am positive that that there are millions, let's say at least hundreds of thousands of people that got into these police networks and intelligence networks and media networks and corporations fully intending to be a good person but thinking ah, and then they got sort of attached to their celebrity or their influence and got sort of seduced that got started to put their own image above their own character and then we're happy to sort of on the side indulge indulge their own vices and boom that's it now you get to be a threat you pulled into the web 100 150% for sure so then I think what happens, it's a doubling down situation where it's a carrot and a stick. Like you start getting invited to the parties. They seem harmless. They seem like nice people. These are the people that that um, that make everything happening in this world. I guess I'm making it here. And, oh, they want to get me. They're inviting me in on this real estate deal. That sounds pretty cool. Um, or they're going to help me get my next promotion. That sounds really cool. Oh, caught me in a compromising position in a compromising situation i wasn't even doing anything wrong but the photo looks really bad you know okay so now now they've sort of got something on me but they've also got this whole like pathway to my to my ambitions laid out for me too so okay i'll just play along gently you know but then you keep getting invited to parties and you keep getting more incriminated and you keep getting more corrupted and and that's it uh, there's an underlying belief, especially with the very top controllers, and it's never, again, it's never been so clear to me as it is now, that when they, when, when the, the debate was going on about creationism versus evolution, which sounds like, you know, a, a harmless and meaningless sort of, you know, in terms of, in terms of like, freedom and virtue it just seems like a scientific discussion to have but if they get you into believing in evolution well then it's easy to convince you that there are races or classes or genetics of people who have evolved to rule and there's a class of people that have been have evolved to be ruled once you get away from creationism and city of god once you get into city of man you, you're easily convinced that there's a ruling class or a priest class that has evolved differently or a culture that's superior, which, of course, isn't true. <laughs> this isn't true. So then what happens? Well, then you've only got a few mechanisms to convince people. You have to like invest deeply in deception to convince people that that's the case. So... Well, what are the, can you think of like uh, some ways that you can convince people that that's the case? Well, one is two separate different sets of rules. One class of people has one set of rules. Another class of people has another set of rules. And so you kind of get off on that a little bit. And you kind of get off on your celebrity a little bit. 
and and what's perceived looks like perceived power but it's not real you know it's not real power because you know you're just a puppet in the city of man now you know how much you're controlled but you can kind of play this appearance that you're that you've got something that other people don't have but as you go down that road it gets more and more and more obvious to you that it's empty you've made a mistake you've taken a path that's completely unsatisfying dissatisfying so then you're constantly looking for rationalizations of why you have been chosen and why you're superior to some other group of people. And eventually, the, the, the most substantive like get-off, if you will, is seeing other people suffering. When you see other people suffering and you're not suffering, then you start to go, oh, maybe I am superior. Then it, then it feeds into this narcissism. Well, then the next step is just, well, have them suffering at your own hand and get away with it. Oh, now, now I'm starting to like feed this belief system that I'm a different class of people and that I'm chosen. Plus, you're, you've at some point declared a war on existence or some point you've sort of bought into that, that there's like normies that deserve to be just like treated like uh, subspecies. And that's it. Now that that just if you can imagine that scaling up, that's how I think you get down this path of paganism and Satanism. That's not that's another like aspect of the story that just never gets mentioned. There's tunnels and symbolism and intelligence intelligence agencies started with a guy named John D, who communed with like dark entities. I signed his name 007. This is like 1500s before England took over the world. But he was like communing with communing with dark entities and developing a language uh, or an alphabet uh, and a magic, Enochian magic. And that's like, that's as dark as it can get, right? So these connections with like, wait a second, this is like completely controlled by intelligence agencies around the world. And it's, and it's got a very, very satanic underbelly. That's just not coming through at all. And then, of course, the ties back to the current White House and the ties back to the current Tel Aviv, that's not, that's not being covered either. So, so that's where we're at. And, it, and it, it looks really, really dark. But like I said, like the, like the dot-com, they're trying to like, they're just trying to make it the bigger, they're trying to make it all happen way too fast. And for, I don't know why. I mean, they could gently do this over 18 months, but for whatever reason, they're trying to do it in three months. And I think the thing's going to flame out. It's flaming out right now. It, it's flaming out right now, and I think the Epstein case is evidence of that. So I'll just wrap up. Before I hand it over to Michael Jones to wrap up here, this is an interview, um, a guy named Alan Duell, I think it is, or Alan Rule in Canada with Michael Jones, another guy that just let Michael Jones talk. But this is an interview about a year ago with Michael Jones, and I think he kind of ties these dots together very nicely but i do want to end with one other positive piece i stumbled on this class liability it's brilliant it's so brilliantly simple i mean you can get very very dark and very very down if you start to believe like i do <laughs> that i mean the major media organizations the major celebrities the major celebrity media people the major politicians on both sides of whatever fake parties are all puppets on an intelligence string that's directly tied 
to Satanism and human sacrifice and child sacrifice and child molestation and blackmail operations. Like it, it doesn't get, I mean, that's, that's it. You're looking straight into the eyes of ancient darkness at this point. But there was just this brilliant guy who had a terrible run-in. I don't, I'm not a hundred, his name's Washington. His last name's Washington from uh, a suburb of Vancouver. And I think 2015, maybe he had this calling and then somehow he got pulled into, I don't know if the incident he had with the cops was related to the smart meters or that just ended up kind of coming together later. But the kind of issue he got behind was related to the rollout of smart meters in, in BC. And through some form, he, he says regularly, of divine inspiration, this idea of a notice of public liability came to him and he's drafted it. And he also somehow, like really brilliantly, has managed to see through the levels of hierarchy at work in the court systems and the, and the political systems. And he is able to, and, it, and it's all corporate type hierarchy. So he's able, he's been in, in trouble since for, for different fallacious reasons, but he's been able to get himself out and, and claim his own sovereignty by seeing the, the games that are being played and seeing that it's just this corporate negotiation at, at different levels. So once you know what level you're playing at, in his case, I mean, I'm, I'm absolute novice on the, on the thinking, but, it, but, uh, but it's extremely hopeful. So I'm definitely sharing the link here in the video where he explains it. But the, to finish with this on the notice of liability... Basically, I mean, super simply, I haven't actually seen the document yet, but super simply, it is that, you know, these people have taken an oath, like especially doctors, politicians, they've taken an oath of office, right? It's like a code of honor of what office they're upholding. Well, all you have to do is prove that they have deliberately and knowingly violated that oath and immediately they become liable for the, as a citizen they become liable for the damages they're causing by doing that. And so he's, uh, he's had many, many, uh, more than 10 leading politicians and officials in Canada resign because he sent them this notice of liability after, after having evidence on them. Like he's got them running scared. So this to me has been the most hope because I just kept thinking like, how is the system going to fix itself? Right. And the system's not going to fix itself. Absolutely not. But a notice of public liability, I could easily see a group of Elliot Nessas getting together and making this happen. So I'm definitely sharing that as well. So enjoy. Enjoy the wrap-up here by Michael Jones. And uh, please browse the links, and I hope you can join me in this journey. And I ha I'm almost positive I'm going to have to do a part two to bring these together. And Bobby Capucci, please, uh, his, his podcast is outstanding if you, if you want to kind of stay up to date on this case. Thanks. Take care. We'll, we'll talk to you in a week. I'm Neil McDougall, and as painful as it is, Logos is definitely rising. And they say, well, you're, we're the children of Moses. And Jesus says, no, you're not the children of Moses. Because Moses was longing for this day. And if you reject me, you reject Moses. So, so who are they? Who are they? What is the definition of this group?
it's not biological because you have passages in the same gospel where uh, Jesus says, uh, or talks about the parents of the man born blind. The parents of the man born blind refused to speak out of fear of the Jews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the Jews would expel from the synagogue anyone who said that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, they all had the same DNA if you're talking about biology. Yeah, so and, and, and like Jesus the, and the apostles and the Blessed Mother and St. Paul and like the whole early church had that DNA. Right, so it can't be racial. So mm. what's the distinction? Well, it comes down to Logos, again. And this is how I got started on the project that I'm doing now, uh, back in 2003. The only co- coherent explanation is that a Jew is uh, a rejecter of Logos. Jesus Christ is the Logos incarnate. When, the, when he arrived, the, the Jews who accepted Jesus Christ uh, became known as Christians, uh, uh, and they've been members of the Catholic Church. The Jews who rejected him are known as Jews to this day. And so there's no straight course in history here if you're using the word Jew, because the children of Moses find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church. And that is the straight line of history. So when you when you reject Logos, as I said, you go back to Liddell Scott's dictionary, you reject a lot of stuff. You reject the order of the universe. And when you reject the order of the universe, you become a revolutionary. And that's what the Jews have been for 2,000 years. And that is the thesis. I just gave you the thesis of the book you're holding up, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. The Jews rejected Jesus Christ. They called for his death, and they chose Barabbas, who was a revolutionary. And it's always good to be careful what you pray for, uh, because they got what they prayed for. They got their revolutionary leader. Uh, in 70 AD, they, the Jews rose up in rebellion against the Roman Empire, and they were crushed, and the temple was destroyed. This is the end of Judaism, okay, as a historical phenomenon. The Jews no longer had, they didn't have a temple, they didn't have a priesthood, and they didn't have sacrifice. Uh, the rabbi, Yochanan ben Zakkai, realized which way the wind was blowing, he got smuggled out in a shroud. And he asked Titus for the the uh, permission to start a school, and that is the beginning of what we now call Judaism. So mm-hmm. Judaism, the Judaism of the synagogue is what we're talking about. The Judaism of the Talmud is younger than Christianity. Uh, Heinrich Graetz, who's the father of Jewish historiography. Heinrich Graetz said that uh, the Polish Jews were morally corrupted by studying the Talmud. Uh, because it taught them how to cheat and steal. So right now we are confronting the the main uh, paradox or contradiction of our age. In other words, the Jew can say uh, exactly the same thing that I am saying. He will be praised for his candor and his honesty, uh, and I will be condemned as an anti-Semite for making exactly the same statement. Well, she said that uh, if it weren't for the Jews, we wouldn't have gay marriage. Yeah, Joe course. Biden said the same thing. He's not a Jew, but he said it. Uh, uh, and as long as you say it with praise uh, in your tone of voice, <laughs> everything's OK. As soon as you say, well, wait a minute, I don't think good uh, gay marriage is a good thing at all. I think it's undermining marriage. I think it's completely consistent with the thesis of the Jewish revolutionary spirit. This is one more attempt to overthrow the social and moral order of our country. At that point, you're called an anti-Semite. 
So it comes down to uh, basically uh, what is the definition of anti-Semitism? It's uh, it used to be uh, you know people who didn't like Jews, and then it became anyone who criticized the Jew, and now it's anyone who disagrees with the Jew is an anti-Semite. You have to accept their narrative. You have to accept their interpretation, even of your own scriptures. And if you do not do that, then he, you will be called an anti-Semite. And one of the main figures was a man by the name of Louis Wirth, who was in the sociology department at the University of Chicago. He went to work for the government uh, during World War II for the Office of War Information, which became later uh, the CIA. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was he was also instrumental in the book that basically proclaimed the advent of social engineering, which was called The American Dilemma. The book was written by the psychological warfare establishment of the United States. Uh, Louis Worth was one of the authors. Other people, Frank Notstein, the uh, a lot of different people. Uh, I go into that in the book. You, you get the names there. And basically it was the plan for America. Uh, Gunnar Myrdal, whoever wrote it, said basically that the freedoms that you had before the war will no longer exist. This was an outgrowth of behaviorism. People felt that if they changed the environment, you could change the person. And so after World War II, this group of social engineers started changing the environment. Uh, One of the ways they did it was by uh, migration. Those people had a right to defend their neighborhood and their neighborhood was targeted for destruction and Martin Luther King was the front man who was leading the proxy warriors in that destruction. The black people, for the most part, didn't know what they were, what, who they were working for. Uh, the people at the top did. And so you had people like uh, Leon Sullivan, the big uh, mega pastor in Philadelphia, who was working for the Ford Foundation. Homosexual agenda is the cutting edge now of social engineering in our age. So it's a direct descendant of what, what I've already talked about. In one of the most remote places on the planet, it, it, it's got rainbow sidewalks, it's got the pride flags, it's got all this homosexual stuff on it. In and Nuvik, look this up on Google Maps, everyone. Like yes. this is being imposed from above. This is a sign that the homosexuals have conquered Notre Dame University because the flag is a sign of hegemony. So I don't know whether you saw this YouTube video, but there are some in Colombia, I believe it was. There's a man there and he looks up and there's the homosexual flag flying above the Colombian flag. So he gets his pulls the flag down and tears it up uh, on, on YouTube because he was smart enough to understand what's going on here. This is when you have a, a, a homosexual flag flying uh, in where you live. It's a sign that you're a conquered province. Uh, uh, where people are docile uh, slaves to the oligarchic agenda. And, and, and Dr. Jones, believe it or not, as bad as it is in, in places like Indiana and even California, it's even worse up here in Canada. I, I, feel, I feel your pain. I've been in, <laughs> I've been in Canada a, a number of times. I was in Ottawa, and I, I remember thinking this is like one large university campus. Yeah. So Canada is like the largest university campus in the world. We did not uh, legalize homosexual marriage. It was imposed on us by nine people on the Supreme Court, which has always been an instrument of oligarchic rule in United States history. There's never been a time when the oligar- when the Supreme Court represented the interest of the people of the United States. So this is this is the whole whole point here. You're, you're getting to the heart of the American system. 
which is basically the, the illusion of popular sovereignty and the reality of oligarchic rule. All right, it's the biggest, it's the biggest battle of our age. And, and uh, the whole Internet censorship battleship, which I discuss in detail in an ebook called Jewish Privilege, is a subset of this battle. Do the people have the rights that their government says they have? Or have we created all of these institutions basically to subjugate these people by at the same time giving them the illusion of freedom or liberation? The key, to, the key uh, device here is sexual liberation. Uh, and I've written a book called Libido Dominandi, which tries to explain how sexual liberation is a form of political control. Yeah. That's, that's how you have to understand it in that regard, because otherwise, first of all, you won't understand the way the system works if you don't understand the manipulation of sexual passion as a way of enslaving and controlling people. Uh, the, the Wicker Man is about a policeman who shows up on an island off of Scotland and uh, there's a missing girl and, and when he gets there he sees that there's just sexual license all over the island. And since he's the authority figure, he's going to put a stop to this and solve the mystery. The Wicker Man, which does a better job at Midsummer makes, is that if you are going to go back to paganism, you have to accept human sacrifice. Yeah. Because the sacrifice is an integral part of that of that religion. And this is a, a crucial uh, Scandinavia, yeah. uh, England, uh, Scotland, places like that, where Protestantism has basically evaporated as a cultural force. These were state churches. Uh, they have they took the patrimony that they had from the Catholic Church. But it, over a period of 500 years, it's evaporated. And there is a vacuum now. And the vacuum, nature abhors a vacuum, and this vacuum is being filled, on the one hand, in England by Islam. There are lots of women who are converting to Islam because their lives are out of control, and Islam is like the tyrant tells you, uh, takes control of your life. Well, uh, be careful what you pray for, fellas. You know, it might praying, come true. Thor, yeah. praying to all of these people at your Beltane feast. Uh, you may get what you ask for, and you may be the guest of honor at one of these uh, sacrificial uh, um, May Day celebrations. Uh, well, what happened to Jeffrey Epstein? Um, he was brushing his teeth and then fell down and uh, hanged himself while he was brushing. I don't think anyone believes that Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide. There is no reason in the world that he would should have committed suicide. But there is there are many people in the world who would like to have him murdered. And so I think the conclusion dead is men tell people. no tales. Yeah. The America first people uh, who voted for him, yeah, uh, by the implementation of his Israel first foreign policy. Yeah, like 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 he he uh, he talked about Jerusalem and the Golan Heights, but I don't see a wall. He's now between... saying he's king of the Jews, isn't he? Didn't he yeah. say that? Psychological warfare, the essence of psychological warfare is the prohibition of communication between subject peoples. That's what's going on here. We are having our, our governments and their proxies are waging psychological warfare on their own people. In order to circumvent that, we have to establish secure lines of communication. And the way you do that is by going to culturewars.com. The truth is great and it's going to prevail. But we have to do we have to be wise as uh, serpents in addition to being innocent as doves. We have to establish these secure lines of communication.